Welcome to StoryCorps, Share Your Science. I'm Sandy Duick, a science communicator at the Bay Area Environmental Research Institute at NASA's Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley, California. Today I'm catching up with Dr. Natasha Battaglia, who's also at Ames. You studied physics and hold a dual PhD in astronomy, astrophysics, and astrobiology. And let me repeat that, a dual PhD. <laughs> postdoc at the Space Telescope Science Institute and were the UC President's postdoctoral fellow at the University of Santa Cruz, where you also went to preschool and kindergarten <laughs> at James Research Center. And at last count, you have 11 first author papers to your name. Who are you? I know you have a scientific family with both of your parents being astronomers. I imagine that science has been woven through your life. Where exactly did your science journey begin? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that you talk about things being woven because as a kid, you know, your reality is your reality. You don't really appreciate all these external things that are coming into your life. I think it's only really been in hindsight that I've come to appreciate really all these things that my parents brought to the table. Um, the story that I tell often is one where at the age of seven to 10-ish, when my family and I were living in Brazil, my mom had us kids draw pictures of astronauts. And we all spent a lot of time on these pictures and I was so excited to show mine to my mom. And it was, she looked at it puzzled and asked, why did you draw a, a white male? And I look at this picture and I had drawn this super stereotypical image of a scientist. And here I am, the daughter of a female scientist and a Latinx scientist. And I still had these cultural stereotypes ingrained in me. And so even at a young age, I was already starting to think of what a scientist was and really start to imagine myself as a scientist. And when we moved back to the US, I had to do a project on a famous American and I chose Sally Ride who was the first female astronaut. And Sally Ride is an incredible, was an incredible person. And reading her biography at the end of it, she talks about the next generation of scientists, the next generation of young women that were going to explore Mars for the first time and search for signs of life and all of these things. And that was just absolutely fascinating to me and just really hooked me in at a young age. So curiosity really seems to be a trait that runs through you and your family. Where has asking these questions, why, or I wonder how, or what if gotten you in your life? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love problem solving, you know, and that that it directly entails asking the, the whys and the hows and the ifs. And so I think I'd say, you know, curiosity really drove me towards the career that I'm in now, which is asking these sort of big picture questions of are we alone in the universe, the search for life and all that. On a day to day level, though, you know, you're not really focused. I mean, you're not really that focused on the big picture. You're answering these sort of minute questions along the way. And I think that curiosity helps drive those sort of day to day activities and keep you motivated at, you know, chipping away at these really small pieces of this larger puzzle. You know, on a even in life, I think I'm drawn to hobbies that 
also require some level of curiosity, like hiking and backpacking and gardening, even, you know, these things that require trial and error and asking, well, what if I do this? What if I do that? Uh, how can I improve this? Uh, I think in, you know, all of those things I just love. Did seeing your mom in the scientist role make science more accessible to you? I mean, your mom's pretty famous already as an <laughs> Obviously, she's had a big influence on mm-hmm. your life as far as your career path and probably laying this foundation down. Did seeing your mom in the scientist role make science more accessible to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my my mom and my dad were really instrumental in making me understand. Like I said previously, like from a young age, there are systemic barriers that exist to keep out underrepresented minorities from science fields. And as a young person, it's really easy to get unmotivated by those systemic barriers and try not to enter the field. Having my parents, though, to help me navigate those barriers was a huge privilege for me. And I think really made the a science career for me seem possible and attainable. And, you know, they kept me motivated. I mean, it's 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 again, it's just such a huge privilege to have them you know, a text away to answer, you know, any sort of questions throughout the extent of my career as they had similarly gone through grad school and a postdoc and finding a job and all of that stuff. And they're both astronomers. That's correct. Yeah. So for your life at Ames Research Center, got a sort of a two part question for you. What excites you about coming to work every day or maybe right now it's sort of working from home? (laughs) Uh, how how has this pandemic affected your work, especially now since we've been at home for a year and a half? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, before the pandemic, the, the best thing about coming to work always is, of course, the people, especially at Ames, where everyone is so welcoming. And, you know, it, it's such a fantastic place to work. And in terms of how the pandemic has affected that, I mean, it's just been hugely uh, sad in that in that regard because we're stuck at home and everything is virtual before that I do not like working in a vacuum you know the greatest part about problem solving is working with a team and there's just something so magical about that and bouncing ideas off each other and 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 so that was really the best part of coming to work every day can you uh, describe to me when you were coming to work every day what what did a typical day look like so I work in theoretical planetary science. So I, you, I'm not in a lab, which is maybe what you might think of as a scientist. I'm also not particularly working on observations. And so I'm not staring down the eye of a telescope every day either. Uh, my work involves a lot of computer programming. So I take really sort of basic physical concepts and I fold them into computer programs that can help us predict things like a planet's climate or what, you know, a a planet atmosphere might look like when looked at with a spectrograph. So that was that is really my day to day is mostly computer coding, which I personally love. (laughs) And um, are you searching for exoplanets? I work specifically on the follow-up to when an exoplanet is discovered. So the the first part is planet discovery. You have to know that the planet exists out there. The second part, though, is a, a level deeper than that. It's understanding the, you know, it's asking questions like, what's the climate of this planet? Uh, what p- could potentially make up this planet's atmosphere? 
all of those questions require these atmospheric models to be able to answer those questions. It's one thing to look at a spectacular photo of Mars, and it's a very different one to be standing in that red soil and experiencing it. Would you go to Mars if you had the opportunity? Uh, you know, when I was a kid, you know, reading those first Sally Ride biographies, I really did want to go to Mars. As the years went on, I realized a very important thing, and that is that I don't think I could do that without my family being around. Uh, <laughs> in addition to being at Ames and loving to work at Ames, my family is very close by, and that's super important to me. And so I don't think that I would be able to do that alone. So to answer your question, I would go if I had the chance and if my, you know, family could go with me. <laughs> Where do you see your future in the space program? Yeah, when I think of a space program, I think of telescopes in space, which might be different than how other people think of the space program, which is humans in space. Right. So, you know, the James Webb Space Telescope is launching this year in October. In the years leading up to JWST, my role was ensuring that the community had the tools necessary to carry out any sort of, you know, ground groundbreaking research involving exoplanet atmospheres. But JWST was conceived in the 90s. And so I wasn't really around when they were doing the initial design of the telescope. And moving forward in my career, I really would, you know, I'm excited to be uh, more involved in that aspect of making decisions about the actual instruments that we get to fly. It's really important as a scientist to be involved with that and to collaborate with engineers because at the end of the day, you're the one who's using the instruments. You have to use that to do the science. And so to be able to be a part of that is is exciting and, and important. In your career so far, uh, what job has inspired you the most, made you think differently about life or the world around you in your short career so far? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, I think the first time that I contributed something meaningful to the scientific community was a very powerful, inspiring moment. I think it made me feel capable of, of, you know, actually affecting some sort of change, some sort of positive change around, you know, in the world around me. Can you describe that moment? You know, I don't know if it was, I think, so the project that I'm specifically talking about is the first really independent project that I had as a scientist, and it was trying to define the capability of JWST. At the at the time, I, I was graduating undergrad in um, 2013, and there really Kepler was discovering so many different kinds of planets, and there was a lot of interest in whether or not JWST would be able to follow up those planets and understand more interesting aspects about these planet atmospheres. And so there were two project scientists, Jason Callaray, who was at the Space Telescope Science Institute at the time, and Jonathan Lenin, who was my advisor at Cornell, who kind of put this on my plate to understand, to answer this question. You know, they assured me that it was, you know, something really important that needed to get done. And, and so I applied myself to that problem and spent the better part of my senior year and the summer after senior year devoted to answering that question. 
And the immediate impact of that was, you know, not huge, but it it made its way into the science community. People ingested the information that I wrote and started to plan their science accordingly. We can do this kind of science. We cannot do this kind of science. And it was like, you know, this incredible moment where I realized, oh my gosh, this is super useful for people. And then at that point, that's when we realized that the code that I was using itself could be used by other people, you know, could could help other people in planning their science during grad school, I took that initial project that I did as an undergrad and I turned it into this more fleshed out web application that people could use. So it was that little moment. And then in publishing that web application in that software, and again, seeing this wide adoption of it was just, I think, super powerful for me uh, and very inspiring. It made me want to do similar things like that. I don't think that was a little moment. <laughs> So um, if you weren't a scientist, what else do you think you might be doing? <laughs> but it almost sounds like there is no other choice for you. <laughs> yeah, I I love what I do. There, We have very unique and incredible jobs. And so it's, it's hard, definitely hard to answer that question. If pressed, I think I would say in grad school, I read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson was very inspired about social injustices and thought that I needed to go get a law degree. Throughout undergrad and grad school, I've worked a lot in trying to close the opportunity gap in education. And so I think if I <laughs> I would work towards ensuring that that opportunity gap was closed so that you know more people could become scientists, I think that I've tried to do that in my role as a scientist anyways. So that's the best answer that I have. Well, that's a good answer. So <laughs> the follow-up to that is then, uh, it sounds like you work with students, you work with postdocs. If you were to go to a high school and or a middle school, elementary school, and give a presentation on mm -hmm. you know, your life as a scientist, what sort of advice would you give to young people about going into the sciences? Yeah, the the advice that I would give is that there are so many facets of science, from being a scientist to being a science communicator to working in science policy. There's just so many ways that science is intertwined in, in our lives. And so the advice that I would give is a, a lot of people, when you talk about their career paths, they've had they've just been you know, with this foundational knowledge that they have in, in higher education, they start on this path of going down all of these different ways. They, you know, targeting a problem here and targeting a problem there. And so I think the advice that I'd give to young people is just go after that education, go after under instilling yourself this knowledge base that can help you, you know, propel you forward and take you on so many different paths because there are just so many problems that need to be solved. Did you happen to do a NASA internship? I did. I did my sophomore year of undergrad. I did a NASA internship with Avi Mendel at the Goddard at Goddard. Okay, so now now on to your personal life. Since this is a <laughs> podcast and there are no visuals of you that we can share with the audience, <laughs> I'm going to make some assumptions about you, and I want you to agree or disagree. Mm -hmm. um, so we know you don't wear a white lab coat. Uh, I do not. 
<laughs> do you, um, I sit behind a computer all day. Well, that one is partially true. The, the only, there are two uh, things that I would add to that though. I interact with a lot of students, a lot of other scientists. And so I guess I don't necessarily sit behind a computer all day. Science involves a lot of teamwork. And that's probably the misconception that people have is that there is one lonely scientist sitting at a computer all day doing the work by themselves. And that's not at all how it happens. I think I know the answer to this question, but science research is my life. <laughs> that is definitely not the case. Science research is a part of my life. I have, and even though my both my parents are also in sciences, you know, we have so many other hobbies and, and you know, within my family, we have so many other hobbies. Uh, my partner and I have so many other hobbies, including, you know, hiking and backpacking. And I'm actually here. I no visuals, but I'm here at my grandfather's house and we have a very small little family vineyard and we love making wine. And so we have so many other interests and hobbies that it's it's not all science research. <laughs> In my family, I'm best known for. <laughs> uh, that's a hard one. I think that I would say I'm probably best known for being the uh, peacekeeper, the problem solver. I have a lot of siblings. I have three siblings, two brothers, two sisters. And when my fiance always jokes because if something happens, I'll get sequential phone calls from everyone. <laughs> Being a peacekeeper is a very good role. <laughs> Every family needs one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's usually the middle child. In my work, I'm best known for? I would say that I'm probably best known for my contributions to the James Webb Space Telescope in terms of the code base that I created to help people do their observation planning. And I think through that, I started creating other code bases. And so I would say that I'm probably best known for open source science. I believe we're alone in the universe. You know, when you start to really understand the numbers, the one of the great discoveries of the Kepler mission was that one in five sun-like stars probably have an Earth-like planet. And that is a huge number. And so when you think about it from a statistical standpoint, it truly seems impossible that we're alone in the universe. And lastly, your colleagues describe you as a trailblazer. According to the dictionary, a trailblazer is a pioneer, somebody who is willing to take risks and go down a path that isn't already there. They blaze a trail and leave a path for others. Is this an accurate? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh man, that's incredibly kind. Well, I, I'm not sure. I, you know, this is, I think, the first time I'm hearing this. We've talked about this on a granular level. I, I love solving problems. And I always try to come up with new and interesting ways to solve problems. And the world around us is moving so fast in terms of technology development and science progress. And so I don't really even know that I feel like I'm a trailblazer. I feel like I get so much inspiration from people and other fields and 
try and take in as much of those external facets as possible and apply them to my own work. Natasha, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was very enlightening and um, I learned a lot of new things and I'm very excited to uh, continue to follow you and your discoveries. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.